Welcome to the Veterinary Business Matters Podcast brought to you by Oculus Insights. Here we will discuss topics related to veterinary business management. From small to large animal, this podcast strives to give you the insight and tools to help you improve your veterinary business. Oculus Insights, supporting businesses where great people want to be. Hi, I'm Mike Connell, and welcome to Hire the Smile, Episode 5, where we talk about human resources as it relates to veterinary business practices. Along with my usual co-host, Katie Arline, we are really happy to uh, invite uh, somebody else from Oculus, uh, Sue Armstrong. And Sue is our executive coach, works for a lot of our clients, from veterinarians, practice owners, down to uh, receptionists, practice managers, just on personal coaching. Uh, so welcome both. Thanks, Mike. Hey, Mike. So, Sue, quick summary. What is a, a coach? What is a, a, a executive coach? Or it doesn't have to, maybe it's an executive coach is a misnomer, but what is a, a coach? Uh, what, what, what do you do for veterinarians and uh, veterinary staff? Oh, so basically, Mike, what I do is I provide a safe, non-judgmental environment for people to express themselves, um, be that about um, concerns uh, at work or personally, and help them move through uh, challenges that they're experiencing. Um, also, it can be about performance enhancement for veterinarians or staff members, um, helping them move past things that are stopping them from working to their full potential um, and living into their full potential. Well, I could, I could say, you know, one of the reasons why I, I love uh, tooting your horn and promoting you is that we've had a number of our vets and uh, support staff, office managers use your services and they have all found it really, really helpful. And it has made them to be uh, happier and, and uh, more productive in what they do. So thank you for that. Thank you, Mike. So, hey, so our usual format is we discuss some articles that we found in the news that are related to uh, human resources, and we try to have a slant related to veterinary medicine and try to have some real-world examples. So I'm going to start this week, um, and as we're talking, you'll see there is a bit of a thread that goes through all of this. So uh, Gallup Industry, um, they do a lot with employee engagement. Employee engagement is the emotional connection a person has to a business. They're the people that really are invested, will do, you know, go above and beyond for the business because they really believe in what the business is all about. So, but that's ideal. What we, you know, what we love to do is have highly engaged employees. And we have a survey that we work with a lot of that practice, our employee engagement survey to really help people recognize where they're people are, how engaged they are. Um, and so it is a really great metric or barometer of just how healthy the business is. Our, our, our businesses are built on our people. So if they're not happy, uh, the foundation of our businesses are not strong. So we want highly engaged employees. So Gallup periodically uh, surveys a population. And this one, it's U.S. workers. And as I go through it, I think um, you know, a lot of this will relate to us in other countries as well, too. So basically what they're saying is employee engagement has been on a real roller coaster ride throughout the year. It's um, um, it's been up. It's been down. They sort of had a, a, a record high at the beginning of the year. Uh, and then, you know, it sort of went down over COVID a little bit. So but let, so let's start at the very beginning. So um, 
In May, it actually went up to 38% after the initial onslaught of COVID. So there was a bit of a dip there. And that makes sense. You know, there's so much craziness going on, the uncertainty of COVID for sure. Our engagement would go down because we're worried about things going on outside of our business or worried about the business, what have you. But in May, it um, it went up. You know, it was interesting. Went up to thirty eight percent from thirty three percent, and then following the killings of George Floyd in late May and the riots and protests, uh, the the percentage of employees went down to thirty one percent in June. And then recently, as in July, it's back up to about 40%. So really, it's just, what's going on here? So, you know, they, they, what's interesting is they talk about that 40% are, are actively engaged. Um, uh, those that, uh, the miserable people, the people that really don't want to work for you, at 13%, which gives us about 47% are not engaged. And these are people that are not psychologically attached to the business and they're often on the lookout for better employment opportunities and will leave a company if there is a better offer. So, you know, that's one of the reasons why we want to engage employees too, because they love the company and they want to stick with us. So really, you know, I'm not going to go into the the real granular details, but more of the big picture in June, you know, they thought the drop of employee engagement was, you know, likely the result of social unrest uh, that created disruptions within the workplaces, um, made it harder for le- leaders to attend to performance-related engagement elements, uh, dis- diversity issues were, were coming up. And then um, when they said uh, now, um, it sort of leveled off even though some of the supervision is not as good as it would be. But what really what it comes down to is that um, while employee engagement within a company is usually fairly stable, you know, it stays within one or two percentage points, what this study highlights is that workplaces are not immune from outside influences. And so, you know, sometimes people that are working for, from home uh, were less uh, influenced by external forces but really, it's telling us that work and life is so blended and, and that leaders, we really need to be aware that there's other things going on in people's lives and work that could really impact their their engagement at work. Um, Sue or Katie, any thoughts on that? Oh, I have I have some thoughts. On that. Um, this I, it was really struck me, um, the two articles that you guys pulled. Uh, for this discussion and how they uniquely they were woven together. Um, it's so interesting that when I am coaching people, I always talk about the fact that I cannot just coach the professional veterinary side of a person. I have to coach also the personal side because they're linked together. And and these two articles so highlight the fact that um, when something is going on in our personal life, it shows up behaviorally in our professional life. We cannot separate the two. And and so looking at the world today, (laughs) it's a bit of a gong show and it's hard for people to be able to just compartmentalize, put their heads down and just focus on work when they're worried about their kids or they're worried about their parents. And so I think that, you know, that the numbers point of this, the study and how this roller coasters is a really good example of the impact of, of how personal things impact uh, our professional lives. Right. Yeah, for sure. Katie, what do you, what did you get out of this article? 
I mean, basically along the same lines as Sue, um, you know, we really have to look at, and I think my article kind of breaks it down a little more and we'll get to it in a minute, but everybody's circumstances are different. And we think of this, you know, when we talk about work-life balance, we think, oh, well, you know, everybody is going to like this work-life balance, you know, a four-day work week, or everybody's going to like flex hours or whatever it is. And that's not necessarily the case because everybody has such different circumstances. So this really underlines how experience uh, really differs between people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I just, I think it's something, it sort of identified something we kind of intuitively thought that, yeah, you can't separate your outside from the inside, uh, your outside life from your inside work life. But yeah, I think this year, gives plenty of examples and if they're if they're measuring it throughout the year to show that roller coaster that there are a lot of disruptive things that are happening to our our, to us uh so yeah i think as as leaders and managers within a practice i think we need to really recognize that and i know uh katie your article really dovetails well into this so maybe you want to we'll switch over to your article and we can talk about that Yeah, definitely. So the article I chose uh, was from a website called the HR Exchange Network, uh, and it's called Why Examining Employee Experience Strategies is a Must During Uncertain Times. This is from the beginning of August by a gentleman named David Rice. Uh, So basically what what this article is saying, like you said, it's building on on the article that you were talking about from Gallup, uh, is that, you know, they did an informal LinkedIn uh, survey and found out that obviously employee safety was the number one concern, but employee experience was the next biggest concern. And this is over the last few months. Uh, and the article says that we tend to focus on things like hazard pay, uh, modifying the physical office, making sure people are are taken care of with mental health benefits through their workplace, uh, which are all things that impact how the employee views their relationship with the company. And the the article goes on to say that, you know, this is sort of one-sided because this is just what the company can do for the person so that they're sort of happier when they're at work. Um, the article cites the Gallup uh, data and, and does say that enthusiasm was pretty high in May uh, and that it has rebounded since then. But they do say uh, that overall trust is pretty low. So that's trust, uh, you know, due to things that are going on in the world, particularly in the United States, but in other places as well, uh, that, you know, trust for for our coworkers, trust for organization, these are all things that suffer when we sort of lose faith in, um, I guess, in society or or in what's going on. Uh, We have a bit of a psychological disconnect. And it says that uh, these are exasperated by things like remote work, Um, home commitments and distractions, and a lack of communication by leaders. Uh, And it it also recognizes that leaders themselves might be disengaged, uh, which is definitely, you know, something we talked about in our last podcast. Uh, You know, leaders aren't immune to obviously feeling the stresses, and they sort of have the double uh, burden of having to stay uh, up and engaged for their staff. but also, you know, them themselves, they have to keep keep their head in the game as well. It sort of makes sense as, as I was listening to you talk about this is, you know, if the world is chaotic, and mm-hmm. yes, it is, it's a gong show, as Sue said, um, you know, if your work environment was a safe place to be, it was a nice refuge, you got along with your peers, you felt supported, you felt secure. But if you're not getting that 
I, I guess we, we, we probably have to enhance what we're doing even more. And if your leadership and management is not as engaged because they're upset about the external world, it almost starts this really vicious downward spiral of, of you know, because leadership is not rising to the occasion because, and I get it, I mean, it's, it's, it's hard to, you know, put on the smile and be a leader when you're so worried about what's going on in your own community. Um, but then your support staff's looking at you and you're not there. So they're getting less engaged. And then, oh, it, so it probably pulls down the leaders because, wow, my staff's just not there. They used to be so rock solid. And then that brings them down. And so vicious, vicious negative circle. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Uh, and, you know, just something to be cognizant of. And, and again, that communication, we've talked about leadership and communication and the importance of making sure your staff knows what's going on and hears from you. Uh, you know, that came up again in this article. So, you know, communication, huge, as always. Um, So the article goes on to say uh, that we need to look at the individual. So everybody has a different experience. And even within, you know, people that have the same shared experience, their experience is actually going to be different on a uh, macro level. So something like uh, people with children. So, okay, so there are some people who have very small children who obviously can't uh, look after themselves that they have to deal with. And are they going back to school or not? Then we have folks with older children who might be in um, high school or university and what are their choices. And then we have people who have children with special needs and all of those individual needs are quite different, even though they're all, you know, wrapped around the fact that people have children. So um, this really underscores that, uh, you know, there's, there's sort of a general stress level and it's, it's different for everybody. It's there for everybody, but it's different for everybody. I mean, you know, general stress brought on by COVID and by political, uh, goings on are different for remote workers versus non-remote workers, people who have relatives at risk, um, and people of color as well with, uh, things that are going on politically. And then they talk about how you might have folks who are, uh, you know, their mental health is fine, but they're time crunched. You know, they're looking after children. They're juggling all these balls that they didn't have to uh, six or seven months ago. And uh, the onus is then on us as, as managers and leaders to come up with solutions. So, you know, maybe if you have somebody who uh, is still able to do high quality work, but they can only do five hours of it versus eight hours of it. Is there something you can take away from them or can you redistribute the work equitably elsewhere so that, uh, you know, we can still support what they can do instead of focusing on what they can't do. Um, and then, you know, you've got creative solutions and, and engaging the employees and coming up with those solutions really helps with that overall engagement, um, improving employee experience and improving their impact on the organization and on clients. Uh, so yeah, I, I think this really brought to the forefront for me, you know, thinking, okay, I mean, I don't have children, so it's, it's difficult for me to empathize, but I might've thought before, well, you know, this person is dealing with their kids fine. So what's the problem for this person? Uh, but really you have to look at each individual, uh, and their situation and and really try and empathize. And it kind of comes around and I, I know, you know, in past years and working with managers, they're often frustrated because they have to change their management style for different people. And it's like, well, why can't everybody just, you know, work for me under the same management style? And it, this really emphasizes that so that just doesn't work. And that's not a way to be engaged for people. So it's challenging, but it's something that we have to do. I love that, Katie. Um, you just really hit the nail on the head there is that um, we have to know our staff. 
we have to be engaged with our staff, not just on a per- professional level, but also on a personal level. We have to be able to take the time and know what's going on in their life. And and for um, some people, some veterinarians that I have worked with, um, that's a difficult thing for them to do. They're all business all the time. Yeah. And interacting on a um, on a personal level, and and I'm not talking about going out for dinner and, and having backyard barbecues, although that does help. Um, just just taking an interest um, daily on on checking in and knowing knowing what your staff's family's doing and 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 what their kids are up to, and when you have that connection, there's a sense of trust, um, and also in in when you in a time like this, when that connection has already been built, then that that strength and trust is there. Absolutely. Yeah. And then you're better able to be able to um, manage people's issues one on one on one or what they need. And, and I so loved um, when you talked about focusing on what we can do versus on what we can't do. Um, that perspective shift is huge when we're caught up in the cyclones of negativity. Uh, we have to be able to take a meta view, look down on it and say, okay, I have to step out of this, what's not going well, and really focus on what is going well right now and and distribute the work so that the at the end of the day, the customer experience and care and patient care doesn't suffer. Um, so managers and leaders have got right now just um, a massive amount on their plates and um, patients with, um, I, and I mean that patients, we have to have patience for everyone in the workforce right now because it, it everyone is just doing their best every day. Mm-hmm. I 100% agree with what both of you are saying, but I was also thinking uh, that, you know, it, I think it's, it's necessary, as you stated, that managers, leaders are reaching out to their staff for their individual approach. I think what, by doing that, we also set the groundwork that they have trust that when something does come up, that they can come to us. I'm thinking it from a manager's point of view. It's hard to, on a, let's say, you know, daily basis almost, uh, try to connect on a, uh, as, on a personal level as we can. But if their trust is there, somebody can come to you and say, hey, my daycare fell through, or somebody in my family is sick, or, or, or I mean, there's a huge list. And they know that uh, as an organization, we can accommodate them and that we're open to accommodate them. And so I think that's when we start to get this back and forth dialogue and we have this trust. And I, I can think of one situation in my own organization. I'm not going to go into any details, but, you know, the, you know, the person just comes and says, I have X going on. And before they even finish the question, it's sort of like, all right, or the statement is like, do what you need to do. And I, I think that helps is, is develop that trust over time. And then, you know, they don't even have to tell you, like, if we trust each other and, then, and if they say, I need to take a couple of days off or I need to leave early for the next couple of days, no, no questions asked, do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it really emphasizes the importance of that checking in and laying that groundwork, you know, in times that aren't as stressful and tumultuous as now, you know, if you've built that culture, you've built that umbrella against the rain of, um, you know, uncertainty and, and everything that's going on, you're in such a better place to be able to take care of your staff and you have that trust groundwork laid. And I, I will say, you know, it's interesting um, with folks that I talk to uh, that are sort of in the same position as me, 
you know, talking about um, people who have a, have had a strong culture and have really put a concerted effort into um, putting that culture together, how different their experience has been from those who might have uh, sort of a, a more junior culture or haven't spent as much time emphasizing the importance of, of that shared experience and that shared culture. So uh, yeah, it's, it's not just checking in during difficult times, it's checking in all of the time. Yeah, because boy, it does make a difference. If you've got the foundation uh, and you've worked all those years to create it, when you have these tumultuous times, it is never going to say easy, but it's easier than if it was just organized chaos. You know that you can count on your staff to do the right thing and to do the the best sure. the best thing to the best of their ability, and that's a huge burden that you don't have to take on. I mean, it's stressful enough without having to worry about how people are going to react. And uh, yeah, it's it's really interesting. Yeah, Sue, tell us about your article. It was a different take, but again, a similar theme. Yeah, this article really resonated with me because. Um, I, as, as a coach, I am, um, I'm a, a, a very, um, communicative, personal, uh, kind, open kind of person. And so my article is talks about, um, the value of talking to strangers and nodding acquaintances. And I remember when, um, my kids were little and, um, you know, we, we had the conversation, you don't talk to strangers, you know, you don't talk to strangers and, and then we'd be out at the park or walking around. And of course I say hello to people and engage people and they go, mommy, how come I'm not allowed to talk to strangers, but you talk to everyone. And now I'm finding with the COVID experience and wearing masks in and out of, um, establishments, whether it's the grocery store or not. The experience of talking to strangers, of just having that quick conversation with the person that's getting your coffee or the people that are checking you out through the grocery line is gone. And the I noticed the impact that it has on me personally, and I can only imagine the impact that it is having on other people. And, and I take that more so to say um, interactions at the at the clinic level where we're still not allowing people to come in. There's a lot of clinics that are not letting uh, owners come in with their pets. They're doing the drop off in the in the uh, parking lot. And the loss of connection that people are having because you're not just having that conversation at the front desk about what Molly did uh, yesterday outside in the backyard, or you're not having those warm interactions with people anymore because of this COVID experience and the separation of, um, of that connection is so that's that's what I um, what I brought this article to. It's it's been it's a very interesting um, take on how we are um, pulling back into ourselves um, and not expressing, and how we are using, um, especially at the beginning of this pandemic, um, the Zoom calls as a way of connecting, and how absolutely exhausting those calls can be and those meetings can be, and that. In, in our work days, um, we're having almost more meetings than we were and working harder from home. Um, and it's absolutely more exhausting because we're just missing all of the interactions at the office level or in the lunchroom or at the water cooler that you would have had just clarifying sort of it, questions you would have on projects, um, be that, and, and people just being able to answer them in a you know quick connect kind of way. I was just thinking as you're talking, you know, yes, I'm 
I spend the most of my time in management, but I think of my own practice. And there have been times in the last couple of years where I've had to chip in or, or do a call or whatever. And I think one of the things that I love about being a vet is the interaction of the clients and the relationships they have with their pets. And if we're doing curbside pickup, a huge element of that is missing and of, of, of being involved in that relationship, seeing the interaction between the owner and their, and their pet, the, the, the love they have for each other, uh, the good news after a procedure goes well. I mean, those are the things that really fill your heart as a vet, and we're getting less of that. And I wonder if that uh, is, has an effect on us uh, because those are those kind of moments that make it worthwhile. And now we're seeing it through either telemedicine or through a Zoom call or through a mask as somebody passes a pet uh, into a vehicle or what have you. So I wonder how much that's going on. Yeah, I could see that. Definitely. You know, you count on those interactions. I mean, we're all in it because we love animals, but uh, you're right. Part of that is the joy of seeing the owner and uh, seeing the interaction and seeing the satisfaction that they get from the pet and from your work. Uh, having that cut off would be, uh, you know, it could be a very impactful on people. Yeah. So I'm just, I'm just wondering if there are ways that vet practices, and I think it's primarily companion animal when we're going to the farms, whether a mixed animal or an equine practice, I mean, yes, we have the masks on, but we are able to interact more, uh, easily. Uh, so I'm just wondering if there's ways, or I would love to hear any input from people that are, uh, if they want to just message us or put a comment on our Facebook page about, you know, what they're doing to help with the communication of clients. Cause I think the absence of that is going to get wearing. Mm-hmm. I, I can um, chime in on that just with a, an example for a friend of ours, whose dog is quite ill and has had to take it to the vet a couple of times. And she said, um, I don't know who saw my, my dog. I, she said, I don't know who saw my dog for all I know, the person that cleans the kennels was the person that was looking at my dog because they're, she's not getting any transparency. She's not getting any answers really. Like there's that lack of communication because she cannot go through the door and she's not asked getting her questions answered. So I was listening to the level of frustration that this woman has and how upset she was. Um, and, and I understand where she's coming from because there's this, lack of communication with the vets one-on-one. Um, so it, 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 it's something that really needs to be addressed right now um, from, a, from a customer service and, and patient care um, and, and their feeling about of the success of the outcome of the um, interaction. Um, but, you know, I think, you know, if that is an issue, and I think we agree that it is an issue, I think then it comes back to the managers and leaders of realizing there's a void. Uh, you know, the, there's not much replenishing us as healthcare workers for pets. And, you know, so again, that's another consideration when we start thinking of the extraneous forces or external forces on us, that some of these forces are within us just because we can't be able, we can't communicate the way we used to with our clients and, and each other. Yeah. And I think the flip side of that is, and this just kind of just came to me thinking about a, a call that we had a couple of months ago with um, some managers and owners of vet practices is, and going back to thinking, not assuming everybody's experience is the same. You also have people, veterinarians who are perfectly happy to not have to see the client. 
So there's that side of things too. You know, I mean, not everybody is, is a people person and not everybody got into veterinary medicine to hang out with people all day. So uh, there's that side of things as well. So you have some folks who I think are, you know, this is an ideal situation for them. uh, And we can't necessarily paint everybody's experience with the same brush. Just thought I'd plug that in there since we just talked about it. (laughs) I, I still hear that, but at the end of the day, veterinary medicine is a service industry. Mm-hmm. I People agree. Business. Yeah, it's a service industry. So we've got to make sure that um, the 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 patient is being taken care of, but also the client and the client experience isn't lost. So um, yeah, it's those. It's taking the moment to have that extra little interaction and that takes time um but we have to build that time into the 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 client experience i I think that that's what um we have to start focusing on in our clinics is um, we've got the safety nailed down we're doing that right we're taking care of our staff and we're doing that right and we've in order to be able to continue to thrive throughout this pandemic, we've got to make sure that the client experience is right too. hundred percent. hundred percent. So um, summary, what we have learned is, as there's a lot of stuff going on in the world that really affects us. And as managers, we've got to be aware of that and change our management styles to uh, to accommodate the individual variations happening to everyone. Yeah, and I think really just making sure that uh, we come at people with, you know, an open mind and with empathy and, you know, really listening to them and what they're saying and what their needs are. Uh, and not just assuming that, you know, like, like we said earlier, everybody with kids is on the same boat or, you know, X, Y, everybody without kids is in the same boat and they are all happy to come back to the office or, or whatever the case may be. Uh, but yeah, listening and thinking and communication. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. That communication stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of important. <laughs> yeah, kind yeah. of important. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I really like that. And I think we're just remembering that, um, all, like you said, all of us are experiencing this, but remembering to hang on to our empathy, connection, and humanity, mm-hmm. yep. which when you're frustrated, it, it's it's easy to lose. So just trying to have, being able to, how can you just continually remember to hang on to our humanity and compassion? Yes, 100%. So that's a great segue to our next section, the wins and losses or wins and fails for the week. I'll, I'll carry on and I'll start. So I'm going to start with my loss and then I'll move to my win. So my loss is an article I was reading this weekend. And uh, so here's a company. So this is an example of living what you preach. So this company is called Carta. It's a, it's, they call it a hot Silicon Valley fintech company, which is, uh, you know, they do financial services. Um, but their mission is to create more owners in the world. They want more people to be owners in company. They're all about equity and equitable and all the hot, hot phrases. Yet it's um, absolutely a miserable place where the people are belittled, excluded from meetings. Um, if they voice concerns, they're demoted, given pay cuts. There's uh, gender disparity, uh, disparity in wages. I mean, it just sounds like a hot mess. 
absolute hot mess. The CEO is apparently a quite uh, abrasive, uh, aggressive personality. And some people like it, but a lot of people don't. But then, of course, the leader says, well, that's just the way I am. Sorry, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm so upset if I've upset anybody. Oh, boy. But, you know, when you sit there and say, hey, here's my our mission is to be, you know, everybody has to have more ownership and there's this kumbaya kind of values, but they're not living it in the organization. Big, big fail. So I'll give you a great example at the very end. So, you know, we're, a lot of companies are talking about diversity and inclusiveness and, and, and recognizing the individuals. And so they had a big company wide meeting um, and, you know, they're talking about uh, gender in this one example as, you know, uh, gender equality. And so they wanted a way for women to anonymously report harassment or discrimination without fear of retaliation. And the CEO says, no, I don't want to have that. And then the next day, one of the women that talked up or, or spoke about it was fired. And then it's just like, oh, geez, just, yeah, yeah. So it's just, you know, and then the owner says, or the CEO says, you know, says all these, you know, oh, I want to be part of the solution. But anytime people come with ideas for the solution, he just throws it down. So, that is my big fail. Um, but I have two, one good win. Well, that's a theme. And um, been moving around more, getting outside uh, and doing stuff and listen, back to listening to podcasts. One of the things that have really has really sucked for me in this whole COVID is I'm not driving as much, which is a positive. But that was also the time where I'd spend listening to podcasts. Uh, so I've had to do some driving lately and doing some long walks. And I've been listening to some podcasts. And there's two podcast related to HR that uh, I'll put in the uh, podcast notes, but they're just amazing. One of them is called Culture Lab, and it is with a, a, a woman from, I think she's based in Italy, uh, Aja Bajer, and I love her. I mean, she just she's always interviewing every week somebody who's doing something interesting in HR culture, trying to make great cultures. And I just, I I just love how authentic she is and how she really gets the best out of people. So I think if anybody is interested in in culture, that's another that's a great one. The other podcast is called Against the Rules, and it's by Michael Lewis. And some of you may recognize the name. He's an author. Uh, he did Moneyball. He's had so many great. Uh, uh, nonfiction novels, and he started podcasting like a lot of authors are doing now. But part two, and, and Sue, you may be interested in that, second season, I uh, just finished off, is all about coaching and the influence of coaching. And he starts, of course, with sports, but he just talks about coaching and how important coaching is. And he even talked about one episode I thought was fascinating in terms of uh, financial literacy, in terms of our own personal finance how somebody has created a really amazing app that really helps people to understand their decisions and how it impacts them financially, helps them get out of debt quicker, pay the right bills, pay off the right credit card because of the interest rates. So just another way of looking at it, and again, that shows and demonstrates the value of coaching. And it's just, you know, coaching is just not somebody on a bench screaming at people. Hmm. Uh, there's a lot of men to it. So I think uh, both of them will have links in, in the uh, podcast notes, but those are my wins and fails. Nice. What do you got, Katie? Uh, so along the same lines of inconsistent executive behavior uh, or behavior by executives inconsistent with company values. Um, so I, I don't know if folks have been uh, knew that there's a huge investigation going on at McDonald's, the fast food outlet. Ooh, yeah. um, 
who, you know, so the, the former CEO uh, was dismissed and this was back uh, earlier in the spring. Uh, and he was dismissed because uh, he, he had a consensual relationship with, uh, with an employee. Um, and so that was sort of the, the impetus for him being dismissed. But, and so he was dismissed with his full severance package, all of that stuff. So since that time, this was November. So November 2019, he was fired. Uh, months later, the company got a tip that he had been involved in multiple affairs with workers. Um, and, you know, they actually uncovered that he lied. He concealed evidence in the initial investigation. And then uh, McDonald's sued him to get claw back his severance. Uh, and of course, he's denying the claims. He's saying they actually did have the information and it's their own problem that they didn't look at it when they put together a severance, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, the, so that's one thing. The second thing is that the HR department uh, is also under review. So the top HR manager uh, left the company the day after the CEO did in November. Um, and as it turns out, he the allegations are that he tried to help cover up uh, acts of impropriety all over the place in the company. Nice, nice. So, you know, that's exactly the behavior you want from your HR manager. High sarcasm. Hopefully everybody <laughs> notes that. Um, but, you know, you think about McDonald's and you think about the commercials about giving kids a chance to, you know, build their careers and blah, blah, blah. And then you think of the executive layers of McDonald's and what's going on. And it's it's just so incongruent with uh, the wholesome sort of uh, come in and um, have fun while we block your arteries type stuff that McDonald's puts out. Uh, so I thought that was a pretty big fail. And I mean, this is a huge company and these people are being paid, I'm assuming millions of dollars. And this is the kind of stuff that goes on. So uh, it's kind of revolting. I will. There is a slight positive note to this uh, is that at least the board of directors is investigating. True. I mean, it had been so much easier. The guy was given, you know, so, you know, this is where it gets kind of galling is, Hey, you're a horrible person that, you know, had a, a relationship with an employees, which is against the rules and you're the CEO. So we're going to force you to leave, but we're going to give you a $40 million package. Mm-hmm. So now they're trying to claw that back, but at least I, you know, but it been so much easier for them just to say, Oh, he's out of here. Let's just tie it up. Let's it'll pretend it'll go away. True. At least they're pursuing it. And it's, it's exposing, you know, McDonald's to a failure in the past, but at least I reckon I, I have to acknowledge that they're, do, they're, they're trying to do something about it. They are. You're right. And they are doing an internal review and they're reaching out to staff and getting input and, and trying to understand sort of the, quote, bright spots and blind spots we have around our values at McDonald's. Uh, you know, so they've got a third party, which is key. They've got a third party person coming in and investigating. So that's obviously a positive, but just the, the mindset that goes into this kind of behavior and uh, the entitlement is disgusting. So that's my fail. Uh, my win this week, I think is my favorite win I've ever had. So this story is out of, sorry, I'm clicking around tabs here on my computer. So um, this comes from Chicago. So there's a a neighborhood um, in Chicago called Austin. And uh, it was the site of a lot of rioting and a lot of uh, looting and destruction, uh, you know, during the the riots earlier in the summer. 
so what happened was a lot of uh, a liquor stores, but a lot of the the places where people actually went to get buy food were looted and and in some cases just totally destroyed. So in a place where it's already a food desert, that is a place where it's it's hard for residents to find or to be able to access um, you know healthy, well priced quality food and nutrition. Uh, they basically were they had nothing they had nowhere to go. So what happened was. Uh, this group of, of young folk, so, you know, under 20 type young folk came together and they said, well, what can we do here? So what they did was um, with the backing and the support of a couple of actually a lot of sports figures uh, in the Chicago area is they put together this uh, company called Austin Harvest. So it's basically a pop up food market uh, and it's it's healthy food. It's in sort of tents in the shell of one of these uh, stores that had been destroyed. I think it was a former liquor store that had been destroyed. Uh, you know, and they they work uh, three times a week. They come in, and then they have uh, networks with uh, you know executives or, or people in the area that have that have knowledge about business who are talking to them about uh, uh, you know, branding and customer service and dealing with money and all of that stuff. So it's a really nice, uh, I think, you know, a great story that comes out of something, you know, we see looting and it's ongoing and you just think, well, what happens next? And I thought that this was a really nice example of what can happen when you, you know, partner with the right people and and give people a chance to make a difference in their community. I like that one. Good ones. Yeah, it's a great one. How about you, Sue? What do you have? Well, I don't think that I have uh, per se uh, a loss, but I um, I would like to focus on something that came up on with Brene Brown this past week that she's posted. Um, many of you know that I'm a, a huge fan of Brene Brown and and um, how she um, talks about um, her way that she shows up in life and 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 in the world and and living on purpose. And right now she's been heavily involved in um, the um, Black Lives Matter and in support of it. Um, She's an interesting character because she's from Houston and she solely and fully believes in in the Second Amendment of being able to have a gun. And and, and so she's uh, quite a contrast uh, sometimes or a, a, a conundrum when it comes to different things. And she's unapologetic about it. Um, right now, um, she's been doing a lot of podcasts with a lot of different um, prominent people and really having the difficult conversations around uh, race and, um, and inequality. And a lot, she's getting a lot of flack and pushback on social media, um, a lot of comments about stick to the research and making people happy, stay out of politics, stay out of this sort of thing, and um, and a lot of unfollows. And um, I think that um, you can't be a human being if those things um, don't hurt you, especially when so much of your success is based on um, media, right? So she made a post and then this one really struck me. And the post says, I am here for my purpose. I am not here to make people comfortable or to be liked. My purpose is to know and experience love. This means excavating the unsaid in the world and in me. And I think that that's a huge win right now um, is standing in your purpose standing in your beliefs and standing for what you believe in. Yep. Well, I think you got, I think you got a combo win and fail. So fail on the people that unfollow the win on her. So wonderful. 
Sue, it was absolute a pleasure having you join us, Katie, as always. Mm-hmm. Um, we will see you all in two weeks. The links for these articles will be in the podcast notes. I'll also have the links for the uh, those two podcasts I recommend. Please don't stop listening to ours if you know you're starting to balance <laughs> which podcasts to listen. But you know, so here's a trap. Anyway, thank you all. We'll see you in a couple of weeks. Thank Thanks, you. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Sue. Bye bye. At Oculus Insights, we care a lot about animals, but we also care about the health of the veterinary profession. Our goal is to support veterinary businesses around the world by helping you clear your path to success.